Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Thank all of you out there for joining us for the program again uh, today. Um, Once again today, Fonnie Willis's special grand jury looking into uh, the efforts by Trump and his allies to overturn the 2020 election is uh, in the headlines. A a very explosive confrontation between uh, Governor Kemp, his lawyer, and uh, Fonnie Willis. We'll talk about that in just a moment, but let me introduce the panel first. It's Thursday, which means my partner from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is the man, the boss, Kevin Riley, the editor of the newspaper. Hi, Kevin. It's great to be here with you, Bill, but I tell you, it wasn't easy. I had to pull myself away from that reality show going on at the Fulton County Courthouse to be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going we're gonna to get into some of the rhetoric that's been going back and forth. It's really potent stuff. Um, one of your uh, staffers from down at the state capitol is with us today as well, uh, Kevin Maya Prabhu, government reporter for the AJC. Maya, how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm glad to, to see you and speak with you this time. I've missed you the past couple of times I've been here. Yeah, well, I'm back to stay for a while, Maya. I'm back to stay. Um, and I'm really looking forward to having these two panelists at, at discuss the news today because they are two uh, political leaders who go back a very long way in Cobb County, Georgia, and beyond. I'm talking about former congressman, Buddy Darden, who represented the 7th District, which was centered in Cobb County back in the day when he was um, in the House, although it went all the way up to the Tennessee line in those days. Buddy, it's great to have you back with us. Bill, I'm delighted to be back. We, You and I go back to the early days when this show began, so it's good to still be here. Yeah, yeah well, we're glad you could be here, too. And when I mentioned... Uh, Cobb County, as a theme that brings you together, I'm talking about your good friend Sam Olins, uh, former chair of the Cobb County Commission, um, then went on to become the attorney general for the state of Georgia. Sam, I think you and Buddy have known each other for 30-plus years probably, right? We've known Buddy a long time. He's a great guy. But, you know, my it's the two of us as the youngsters on the show today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. thank, thank you for joining right. me on the young end of the thing of the panel today. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> All right, let's get right to the news. Um, Kevin Riley, we we knew a while back that um, Fonnie Willis and her special grand jury uh, wanted to get testimony from Governor Kemp. He was a witness uh, because he refused to um, in any way support the former president's efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election. He steered clear of that. So there was no reason that he would be considered a target of this investigation. He was a witness. And we were under the impression that an arrangement had been made for him to give a video testimony about how 
um, people like Donald Trump had reached out to him, asking him to do what he could to overturn the results of the election. It all seemed to be relatively peaceful. Kevin, all of a sudden, that has turned into, as your reporter Tamar Hallerman points out in his story today, an explosive confrontation between Kemp's lawyer, Brian McAvoy, and Fonnie Willis. McAvoy is now trying to quash a subpoena for Kemp to testify in person. That video uh, uh, testimony went by the wayside some time, time ago. It's becoming very, very hostile between the two sides, Kevin. It sure is. And Tamar is doing a terrific job. I know she's on your show each week, uh, right, uh, on uh, Tuesdays? Is that is that her day? Bill? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you just wonder what, you know, we've gotten a little peek behind the scenes, and I know we're going to talk about that some more, but you're right. It seemed like, uh, as these witnesses have gone, a pretty routine uh, situation. The governor was going to do the video testimony, get it over with. He seems to be in a good spot with all of this. And then all of a sudden it burst out in the open that this has been a real war and it's gotten ugly. And I just wonder if the governor's concern is, you know, former President Trump sort of sits on the sidelines, a huge powder keg. And the last thing any any Republican uh, governor candidate in Georgia you know, wants to do is light a fuse that that could blow up that race that he seems to be well in control of at this point. Sam, uh, you and Buddy are both attorneys. Let me ask you two to weigh in on this. And first, you, Sam. What, what apparently happened here is that that video testimony was put aside. There were uh, conversations back and forth that apparently got prickly about just what uh, Kemp might be asked to talk about. Those negotiations for the video fell apart. A new subpoena appeared for Kemp to testify in public this week. And uh, um, here's what Brian McAvoy, uh, the camp attorney, said about that. Unfortunately, what began as an investigation into election interference has itself devolved into its own mechanism of election interference. This is particularly egregious when directed toward the state's highest executive, who's not accused of any wrongdoing and is occupied with the business of governing. And of course, the concern there, Sam, is it's getting closer and closer to Election Day, and McAvoy is arguing that uh, there's political motivation going on here by the, uh, by the district attorney. Sam? So clearly, I can't speak to, to motivation. I, I respect the governor. I respect the DA. Um, the DA has gone through a lot lately with all these challenges to the uh, subpoenas. The, the governor's going through a lot with a close reelection. I think this made for good press. It made for good theater. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, I think everyone will resolve their issues and uh, help provide what's, what is appropriate, and it will be done at a time frame that works for everyone. Uh, buddy, Fonnie Willis wrote a scathing response. Um, I posted it on uh, my Twitter, at B if you want to read the whole thing. But here's just a little bit of it for you to comment on, Buddy. She, she says, back to McAvoy, um, in an effort to be a gentleman and an officer of the court, my special counsel has been far too polite. The email, Mr. McAvoy, you have sent is offensive 
and beneath an officer of the court, you are both wrong and confused. This is not a politically motivated investigation. It is a criminal investigation. Um, and your repeatedly saying it's political does not make it so. In fact, you repeating it so many times only proves you have become very comfortable being dishonest. And that's some of the more polite language in the reply, buddy. Well, Bill, as you may recall, I was a district attorney in Cobb County a long time ago, and I believe I have a little insight into what's going on here, and I think both Sam and Kevin are spot on here. This is going to be resolved. I think there's a little political theater here, and certainly Brian Kemp, who is not accused of any wrongdoing or ever has been suggested to be guilty of any wrongdoing, is kind of playing a little bit to the Trump crowd. He can't appear to be too compliant. He's got to show that he's uh, going to man up here and not be run over by the district attorney there in Fulton County, and she's not going to be run over either. So I think, as Sam said, that once they get through with their political positioning here, it'll all be worked out. By the way, it's only a five-minute walk from the governor's office over to the grand jury, so we're not talking about some real geographical problem here or logistical problem. So as Sam indicated, they'll work it out. My, uh, all of, we can only speculate on what's behind all of this, but it does strike me that Buddy's speculation seems uh, uh, to be uh, uh, quite logical, that, that the last thing Brian Kemp wants to do as he approaches Election Day is to somehow create the impression among the Trump Republicans that uh, he is being uh, uh, as cooperative as possible with an enemy of the Trump base, Fonnie Willis, and her investigation, yes? I mean, yeah, definitely. He, he, you know, thwarted an attempt from Donald Trump and David Perdue to kind of come at him and, and won that primary resoundingly. Um, and you know, there's been all this evidence of people who had been very upset with him. You know, I remember being at the um, state convention last year and, you know, the governor being booed. So the party has kind of united behind him and maybe put this uh, feud between Trump and Kemp in the back of their minds. And the last thing he wants to do is is remind them of uh, of how he did not go along with what the former president wanted him to do. So, Kevin, um, you know, Buddy and Sam suggest that this is much ado about nothing in many ways, that it will be resolved. There's political posturing going on. Uh, but we shouldn't forget the fact that Governor Kemp did receive phone calls from uh, Donald Trump about working to overturn the election. Um, he may very well have talked to others in the Trump camp about this. I frankly don't remember who, uh, who we've learned he talked to. So it isn't as if he doesn't have information that could be pertinent to Fonnie Willis's investigation, right? Right. I think, I mean, again, I'm not a lawyer, although it looks like we have a couple with us today who might know better. But, I, I mean, the, the continuing question is, uh, at what point did either the president or his representatives cross a line from inappropriate, uh, misguided, plain old dumb behavior, do they ever cross a line to criminal behavior? And I think the nature of those phone calls and the arguments about exactly what's said and exactly what the intent was, that's what the DA's got to be after, because without that, 
this is just talk. I mean, until she has a an offense that she has evidence to prove, it's all just talk. Right, Sam? I mean, it, I mean, she's got to find a crime if she wants to try to indict him. Yeah, so I so so Kevin, clearly we're way past as you stated the point of whether what the former president did was acceptable. The issue here is intent, as you referenced. And um, the last thing you want to do is indict a former former president and not have the jury find sufficient intent and acquit him because at that point, he becomes the largest martyr in the uh, 20th, 21st starting century for America. So there's a real downside if you don't have everything that you need to uh, have a good shot in that uh, in that jury. Um, as, as an aside, I'm still um, trying to figure out how Liz Cheney only got 29% of the vote uh, because I think that just bodes very poorly for our political process. Well, I don't think there's any question that the evidence and the testimony of the governor is relevant. And I don't think there's any question that he should not uh, testify before the uh, grand jury. Now, the method and the manner and the logistics involved, of course, is what we're talking about here. But certainly, uh, we all know, and it's all been reported as a matter of general knowledge, that Governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, has direct knowledge of the actions of the president during this time. So there's no question about the relevance of it. It's just a matter of logistically and politically and in other ways uh, getting his testimony. And I think that it will occur uh, sooner than later. Um, Maya, let's not forget, of course, that there are others who are being investigated by this special grand jury. We we know that Fonnie Willis has already told Rudolph Giuliani, who was uh, in Atlanta testifying yesterday, that he's a target. Uh, he could face indictment for criminal violations uh, if the special grand jury moves in that direction, if, if the special grand jury recommends that that's what the DA's office does. The 16 fake electors, Republican electors, um, have been identified as uh, targets. Um, we also know that uh, we're expecting that unless in, in a uh, uh, the appeals court uh, overturns uh, the the district court, which says, says that Lindsey Graham has to testify. I think Fonnie Willis will wait to hear from Lindsey Graham, who may have crossed the line. We don't know in terms of how we talked to Brad Raffensperger about absentee ballots that shouldn't be uh, counted. And finally, we now know that uh, Jenna Ellis, who is part of that a group of lawyers who uh, work tirelessly to convince courts and the public that the election was fraudulent. She's now been ordered by a court in Colorado to come testify before the grand jury. Um, and we're still waiting to hear about John Eastman. So there's a lot of people <laughs> involved in this, Maya. Yeah, and, and, you know, we can't forget that battle between, you know, the Republican nominee for lieutenant governor, who was one of those 16 fake electors um, who... Uh, was successful in in removing himself from the Fulton County DA's office and investigating him. But, you know, we'll see what happens with the special appointed uh, prosecutor. Um, 
yeah, there, there, there are a lot of ways for this to go. There are a lot of players in the mix and uh, a lot of opportunities for evidence to be found. So we've got, again, I keep saying this, but we got a couple lawyers, but let me ask Buddy this question that I, I've had. So, I mean, obviously a lot of the characters that the, the DA wants to uh, come in to the grand jury are lawyers, and they say they're Trump's lawyers, and they keep talking about attorney-client privilege and other privilege. Um, how does that actually work? I mean, I, I understand both you and Sam to be highly ethical lawyers by both reputation and practice, without question, but... I mean, where's the trouble there for Rudy Giuliani? Can he just say, well, no, I'm the guy's lawyer and I was, you know, advising him. And so I don't have to talk about any of that. Can he really do that? Well, I think he's on very thin ice here, Kevin, for two reasons. One is that, of course, he was a lawyer, but being a lawyer doesn't give you the right to violate the law yourself on behalf of your clients. So that's that's uh, pretty pretty thin ice, but also the fact that he has now been designated as a target gives him the right to claim the fifth. And so I was a little surprised uh, that he testified for six hours yesterday, and uh, I don't know what he was talking about for six hours, but if I were his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani's lawyer, that is, I would have had him uh, bring a quick end to that and say, since I'm a target, uh, I can't t- tell you all of this, and uh, it's it's time to go. So uh, I've been a little confused at what in the world Rudy managed to talk six hours yesterday to the grand jury about. But while I've got the mic, I also want to mention one other quick matter that Maya's already uh, outed, and that is the Coffee County situation, because you have a, a lawyer who claimed to be an elector who swore to the truth of the contents of his lawsuit that he filed against Rapsenberger in Coffee County and uh, in which in which uh, now it turns out that they have somehow uh, copied uh, classified information or secret ballot information down there. So what I'm saying is this just explains how it goes on and on and on. And you've got a lot of people uh, who are going to be in trouble as a result of this, not just not just Trump, but a lot of other people who may have sworn falsely. Buddy Darden, uh, I do want to talk about Coffee County. It's a little bit complicated, and I, our listeners may uh, not quite get what happened down there. We'll get to that in a in a short while on the show. So thank you for uh, bringing it up. But you know, Sam Olins, you you mentioned something that I do think is worth spending a few minutes on, and that is Liz Cheney's defeat. And the reason uh, it, it, you I, I wanted to ask you about it is that. I mean, you have been a Republican office holder for your entire professional career in politics. Now you're an attorney, of course, at Denton's, the world's largest law firm. Um, And you've said on this show on a couple of occasions that you've moved away from your Republican roots. With all that in mind, what do you think Liz Cheney's uh, resounding defeat on Tuesday night says about where the Republican Party is headed? It's the party of Trump. There's there's no question. It's the party of Trump. The only state that didn't vote the way Trump wanted was Georgia. We're it. Um, And I think that's in large part due to the way our governor handled the situation. Um, You know, I run into people all the time that five and 10 years ago, uh, 
were with me at Republican Party meetings, and none of us are now. The, the party left uh, at this point, and uh, I don't frankly think she has a solid shot of running in two years, uh, just as I don't think Pence has a solid shot of running in two years. Uh, and, and candidly, um, I don't really see a big difference in style between the governor of Florida and the former president. So it's really hard for me to find a silver lining anywhere in sight. Uh, Maya, as long as we're moving in that direction for a few minutes here, um, you you cover the legislature. Um, and, and it does seem to me that uh, the legislature, uh, there are no, there are few Republicans in the state legislature who would come out and be critical of Donald Trump. But there is a difference between the way that members of the Senate and some members of the House, Republicans, um, approach uh, Trump and and um, their loyalty to him. For instance, I'm thinking of David Ralston, who has been quite critical of Trump, as opposed to uh, leaders in the state Senate, other than than the uh, lieutenant governor himself. It's really interesting to watch that dynamic play out from your perspective downtown, I would think. Yeah, it, it is definitely an interesting dynamic to watch, um, you know, especially with some of the conversations that I have with these elected officials when it's just the two of us versus the things that are said publicly and the types of legislation that, you know, are filed. Um, but yeah, you know, Ralston definitely, I feel like every time I come on here, I praise Ralston. I feel like Ralston is a great speaker. He's really good at his job. And he knows that, um, you know, you know, like Sam said, it's, it's the party of Trump, but he knows that Georgia is not necessarily, uh, the voters are not 100% behind Trump. And in order to maintain his majority, in the House, he has to, you know, walk this line um, in order to to keep Republicans in control of that chamber. So it's definitely um, fun and funny to to see the um, the difference between the comments that are said to me when when I'm talking to folks just one on one versus how how they present themselves when they're especially when they're out on the campaign trail. Buddy Darden, what what did you uh, as you watched Liz Cheney go down in flames the other night? What did you think about uh, what you saw? I thought to myself, here's a woman of courage, and here's a woman that puts country and the Constitution over party. And as she said, as she said, she could have gone along with the game with the, with the Trump lie, and she could have been reelected uh, with seventy percent of the vote or more, but it. You get at some point, and Sam has been there, and I've been there too, uh, as an elected official, that if you can't state what you believe and if you can't do uh, what you were elected to do in good conscience, then you don't need to be in office. And um, the way I look at it is she did she did something which was very courageous, but she did something to your own self be true. And uh, she, she finally just came out and said, it's not worth holding a job under someone else's terms. And if I'm going to be elected, uh, I'm going to do it my way. Uh, Sam has had these moments from time to time. I've had them. And in the end, uh, you have to decide which is the more important, doing what you consider to be the right thing and then, or, or uh, doing the expedient thing. And 
fortunately, fortunately, most of the time they'll they'll uh, be the same thing. But every now and then you get to a point, and as she did in history, I think she will be remembered now a whole lot more than she would have been remembered had she gone along and been elected again and stayed in in a position. So uh, she walks away with her honor and and, uh, and a good name. Yeah, as Maya pointed out, Bill, I mean, even in the Georgia legislature, those decisions are made, right, about where are you going to stand publicly, uh, what kind of uh, courage are you going to show. Um, I mean, it's always a balancing act because if you can't get voted in, you also can't, you know, affect change. But I think it, I think Buddy's right. I think when the history of our age is written, Liz Cheney will be one of its great heroes. Well, well we should not forget as we praise her in the same same way that people praise Brad Raffensperger, justifiably so for his resistance to Donald uh, Trump's efforts to overturn the election, we should remember that Liz Cheney's voting record is 96 percent with what what then President Trump uh, was trying to accomplish. So she she is about as conservative as they uh, come, uh, but there's but Sam Olin's there's now a difference between being a conservative and being a Trumper, isn't there? Well, absolutely. But, you know, frankly, uh, being a Trumper doesn't mean you're conservative. I mean, there's, that line moves with each with each subject. I mean, you, you can't my, say... My point party, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't say you know, the party that, that follows the rule of law and then make statements to threaten the lives of FBI agents. Uh, you know, he, 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 the comments run from far right to far left to far crazy. Um, so I think that's really one of the problems with the Republican Party now is it's no longer the conservative party of low taxes, little government responsibility, because the responsibility went out the window when you be, became a co-figure. All right. Um, Sam Olins gets the last word in this segment of Political Rewind. I want to take a break now. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about the, the agenda of President Biden. He passed one of the most important measures of his uh, first years in office last week. Let's talk about the impact of it and what it might mean for the state of Georgia. This is Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Sam Olins, Maya Prabhu, Buddy Darden, Kevin Riley joined me for today's Political Rewind. Uh, uh, Kevin, on Tuesday, after a year-long uh, battle to try to put in place some of his uh, uh, showcase initiatives, President Biden was able to finally sign into law um, a very wide-ranging uh, measure uh, that passed strictly on a party-line vote in the Senate. Um, and let's just talk about them in the most uh, uh, general way. It, the bill that was passed is a climate change measure that should reduce greenhouse gas emissions. 
It will uh, reduce health care costs primarily for seniors. Uh, it puts new taxes on corporations and wealthy investors. And um, it, so in that sense, and, it, and the, the, the White House would argue it's an inflation-fighting measure as well, although I think there's good reason that Republicans will argue that that's not the case. So first of all, Kevin, let's talk about the fact that President Biden has uh, terrible approval ratings. He hasn't been able to accomplish much of what he wanted to. This was a huge victory for uh, the White House, yes? Yeah, and I do. Bill, I actually think some people would argue he has been able to accomplish a lot of what he wanted to do with this bill and the Build Back Better bill, as that one was called. And for some reason, it's just not uh, uh, getting the attention. I mean, every day we've got uh, some other outrage happening with the former president that grabs the headlines. But this is a a massive bill, a massive accomplishment, uh, both uh, strategically and politically. And it also is the strongest move by our country toward climate action that we've ever taken and measured in, the, in what we're spending. There are huge implications for Georgia, almost all of them positive, I think, from what we can tell. And I think if you walked up to anyone on the street and asked them, you'd be lucky if they knew very much about it, the way this has played out. Buddy? Let me say that one thing that's been somewhat overlooked, which I think is as important as the climate change as in any provision of the bill, is finally that the government will have the right to negotiate on behalf of Medicaid and Medicare for drug prices. For, for many, many years, both Democrats and Republicans have been held hostage by the drug companies. But now, finally, we will be able to negotiate on behalf of the United States better prices and even though it doesn't apply to non-Medicare and Medicaid, at the same time, this will bring the prices down in the private sector as well. So this, to me, is a major breakthrough. And if for no other reason I would have voted for that bill, and uh, notwithstanding the, the climate change, which was a great thing, notwithstanding the many, many other provisions of it, I think it's a significant step forward in something that we've tried to do for many, many years. Sam Olins, your thoughts? So, um, I don't think the bill does 10% of what is advertised. Um, it also has a value of about 10% of what the administration sought, which I think responds to Kevin's comment about why isn't the public more excited? Well, when you try and be left of Bernie with these proposals and you get 10% of it, you know, that's blah. Um, most of the things don't kick in until 2025 or 2026. So um, they get to negotiate in theory 10 drugs starting in 2026. Well, the presidential election is 2024. You can't really get people excited about potentially reducing the price of 10 prescriptions four years from now. In fact, most of the funding in this bill is years down the road. Um, so it, it, it seems to me this is a, a dream more than a reality. Well, Sam, w w isn't it fair to argue that, that President Biden and Democrats would like to have gotten a lot more and would like to have moved more quickly, 
but Republicans wouldn't uh, 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 work in a bipartisan way with them. And then there's also Joe Manchin, the Democrat, who gives them the 50 votes they need, who was uh, pushing back against some of these proposals. But Republicans played a big role in this, Sam. Well, look, there's been inaction in Congress for a decade. It's nothing new. Um, and then with, with regard to Senator Manchin, the House has already told him that what he wanted on oil and gas leases is never going to come up in their chamber. So it appears he gave up a lot and got very little. Yeah. Um, I want to come back and talk about the partisan political implications as we move toward the election of, of this measure. But, Maya, uh, before we do, it, it does appear that um, what we're hearing from Georgia Industries um, are, are slightly different messages. Rivian and Hyundai, which, of course, are both coming into the state in full force building electric vehicles here, um, their spokespeople are suggesting that they don't think they think that that what's being done in terms of tax credits, in fact, may be more harmful than beneficial. They're not as enthusiastic as the White House is about what this means for the electric vehicle industry. Right. Yeah, you know, kind of, you know, going along with what Sam was saying, a lot of these things are, are years down the line and um they don't believe that uh, their company, they don't believe that their customers are going to see the benefits as immediately as, you know, the White House um, kind of purports it to be. So, you know, there's been this mixed thing. Then you have the, the solar industry who's, um, you know, much more excited about the the opportunities that can come by by building these these parts of solar panels in the country and the um the tax benefits that can come from that so it's kind of like this mixed bag like you said of of reaction and you know time time always tells how things will really shake out buddy one of the frustrations in the ev industry is that the uh the the law really restricts where the manufacturers of these vehicles can get their the materials they need to build these cars from they can't, they've got to either get them in, uh, domestically or there's a select group of other countries where they can get the kinds of minerals and compounds that are needed to make electric cars and as a result of that they're saying this puts us off for a long time we we don't have the ability to source these materials the way the bill requires that we do. Well, Bill, you remember, legislation is always the art of the possible, and uh, it is full of compromise. It, the legislative process is a totally a compromised uh, institution. So it's not the one thing, the reason I think that this bill is good and the provisions are good is that nobody is completely happy. Uh, some people think it goes entirely too far. Some people don't think it goes far enough. But what you have to do, if you're a member of the, of the House or the Senate, you have to say, all in all, is this a good thing? Now, at the same time, to accompany uh, the materials and the, the things that you mentioned, there's a chip bill, which will be already uh, passed and will be going along at the same time. So I think uh, American industry will get a shot uh, from that bill as well as as uh, this bill. And it's not going to happen overnight. But I'll tell you that, in my opinion, electric vehicles are the future. And it's just a question of how, 
how long it takes, but at the same time, I think 20 years from now, uh, nobody's go- except collectors are going to be driving driving uh, vehicles that burn fossil fuels. Uh, on a positive note, Maya's already mentioned it, uh, the solar uh, uh, industry here in Georgia is uh, enthusiastic about this bill. There's a quote from uh, Scott Moskowitz, who's the head of market strategy and public affairs for Q-Cells, which has a Dalton facility. It's the largest solar plant in the Western Hemisphere. And he says that the bill has policies that will help to directly incentivize new investment and create scale that's going to make the U.S. globally competitive in solar. So, Kevin, as, as we're all saying, this is a mixed bag. But what I'd like to do for the next couple minutes in terms of this measure is look at it from a political point of view in terms of the midterm election. Um, we hear repeatedly that Republicans are on track to take control of the U.S. House, in part because Biden's uh, approval numbers are so low um, and, 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 and that he has really failed to energize uh, his base. The question is, could this mark a turning point that might give some Democrats here and around the country more uh, energy in moving towards the November election? Well, I, I, a couple of thoughts there, and, and I'll start with the point Sam made. I mean, the impacts of some of this legislation won't be apparent to voters for some time, certainly not before they probably make their decisions about about uh, things in the midterms here. So I think that that's going to be a challenge. I also think the I'll just call it muddled messaging of the Democrats versus the incredibly disciplined messages of the Republicans, setting aside accuracy, fairness, reality, all that. I mean, the Republicans have hammered away at the economic situation and especially inflation. And just I mean, if you were to just listen to their messaging, you would think we are in the worst economy since the Great Depression. I mean, they have made that case and they blame the president. In fact, we have incredibly low unemployment, and we have all these things going on, massive uh, automotive plants coming to Georgia. So the economy is actually kind of good in most ways, but it's not at the gas pump and it's not at the grocery store. So I think that's the challenge. I mean, can the Democrats come up with a message that's meaningful and that they can stick with? And if they can't, uh, history tells us they're going to have a rough time in November. Uh, Buddy Darden, our friend Rick Dent, who does this show with some regularity and is also the single most cynical person who ever appears on Political <laughs> Rewind, uh, suggested just yesterday that Democrats stepped all over this message when uh, DOJ authorized the search of Mar-a-Lago. Uh, the headlines about this bill, uh, the headlines about our having killed the leader of al-Qaeda, all went uh, 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 for naught uh, because the raid uh, on Mar-a-Lago dominated the headlines. Of course, that suggests that somehow the White House uh, could have had an impact on whether DOJ moved forward. Uh, but I, he does make a point whether whether the Democrats could have done anything about it or not. Mar-a-Lago certainly trumped what was going on, no pun intended, uh, in terms of the president's agenda. Well, I was driving to Columbus and back yesterday, and uh, I got a full, full uh, hearing on what Rick had to say. And he has become the James Carville of uh, 
of Georgia, at least. But uh, what he is what he is basically saying is that Democrats have missed opportunities to trumpet and to really, really positively spin what we've done: the gun legislation, the chip bill, the veterans uh, bill, the uh, certainly the uh, killing of the Al Qaeda leader, and that. The Republicans, as usual, out-message us because they are more disciplined, and I understand that. Historically, though, what bothers me more than anything else is that in the beginning, in the second, in the second year uh, of, of a new term of the president, in the midterms, that's where the danger lies. And Biden, while he hasn't done anything uh, uh, bad in any respect, uh, it's just... He's he's uh, fighting history, but I think you can make a good case for here lately, especially that the Congress has been responsive and we passed something. We passed legislation. Government has begun to work. We haven't been embarrassed by anything that uh, Biden has done as far as the president uh, goes. He's kept an even keel. He's restored uh, normality to a certain extent. So. Uh, I think there's a good case to be made uh, for Biden. Historically, though, that's what worries me more than anything else is just where we are, where we are, and uh, politically in in the midterm with a new president. Maya, before we get to a break, what's the mood among the legislators you talk to down at the Capitol as the midterm election approaches? Um, I feel like you know, Democratic. It, it, you know, I was thinking while while we've been talking about this, I think, you know, Democratic elected officials often have at least even with me, you know, like a a more rosy kind of picture and and uh, optimistic look uh, heading into elections, at least every election cycle I've been here. Um, but when I speak with, um, you know, young folks like me and Sam, uh, who are who are voting for Democrats? Um, you know, it's it's kind of along the lines of what we've been saying. No, no one is particularly impressed by Biden, and and they're not. Um, you know, it's not. They're not motivated to go to the to the polls. And you know, a lot of uh, success for Democrats lies among young voters, and the folks who I encounter are just not excited. All right, Maya Prabhu, thank you for uh, giving the final thoughts uh, before we take our break. We'll be back with more in just a minute. Earlier on in the show, Buddy Darden uh, referenced uh, an event that took place down in Coffee County. Uh, it's it's a little complicated, and I, but I'd love to have the panel. Uh, talk about it because it's another example of election interference by a group of Republicans who were working on behalf of uh, Donald Trump. Um, so I'm going to read you the lead from Mark Nisi's piece on this uh, the other day uh, in the AJC. A group of Donald Trump supporters copied a trove of sensitive Georgia election files in Coffee County after the 2020 presidential election a breach that included data from an election server, voter check-in computers, and ballot memory cards. Um, and and, and Sidney Powell, 
uh, who was working on behalf of Trump to overturn the election, uh, actually brought in a, a computer expert from a tech firm, Sullivan Strickler. They were charged $26,000 to break into this equipment and give access to sensitive information that should not have been made uh, public. Of course, this was all in the service of trying to find out whether there'd be, whether the voting machines were recording votes incorrectly or fraudulently. Um, Kevin, your thoughts? Let me start out with you on this. Well, it's very disturbing. I, w- I think there's a funny aside in all that uh, for if those of you who haven't read the story. Um, the, the computer, the Atlanta-based computer company, as you mentioned, uh, uh, Sullivan Strickler, it, it repeatedly asked to make sure they get paid. And, you know, apparently that's a thing in this whole Trump world. If you're a lawyer, you do something, you, you got to ask to get paid or you might not. But, yeah, I mean, this is just, to me, the ultimate example of this Long-time bizarre, there's all this voter fraud going on, a myth that's been created by people on the right when it is completely untrue. It has always been untrue. It remains untrue. And then in an effort to prove that it is true, they actually compromise election data and get it floating out there in the world unprotected. So it is, to me, just craziness haven't actually had its way in this big dispute. Um, Maya, there's another side to this. Um, the, the data should never have been breached in the first place. But the other side to this is um, it did show that the voting machines are vulnerable to being hacked into whether or not they can actually overturn the count on a given voting machine is another matter. And there's no evidence that that's ever happened. But uh, you know, for those who are adv- who care about election integrity, that's a disturbing uh, aspect of this. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, once every few months, uh, Mark Meese writes about people being concerned or people finding ways to hack into machines. And, you know, it, it, it seems to be a real thing. Like, like you said, you know, there's no evidence that they can do anything to affect the outcome of the election once they're in there. But, you know, I don't know how many of us want our our voter da- voter data, you know, floating around there out in the in the universe. Um, so, yeah, there's there's always this constant threat, I feel like, of um, of these machines being hacked. And um, yeah, I guess we'll just wait a few months until the next time Mark writes about it again. <laughs> Sam, as former attorney general of the state, how would you look upon this effort by Sidney Powell and her people, who did this in other states as well, by the way? So I'm going to bring up three issues at once. You know, we talk a lot about special grand juries and grand juries. But if I were looking at potential results, I think the likelihood of criminal action relating to Coffee County, the uh, potential action uh, by a uh, grand jury in whether it's DC or Florida concerning these confidential records and the president claiming that he has the right to declassify when by himself he doesn't really have that right with the recent uh, acknowledgement that They've interviewed both the president's prior counsel and deputy counsel. 
But those are two very interesting stories that frankly need a lot more press attention. And I would follow that by the gubernatorial candidate in Pennsylvania who wants everyone to have to re-register to vote, along with numerous Secretary of State candidates that uh, back the steal and would be in charge of their state elections. And I think when you combine those three things, um, you have to be very scared about our uh, electoral and democratic system. Yeah, buddy, Sam makes an awfully good point, I think. Um, we've got an election coming up in November, midterm, and then a presidential in 2024 that we expect Donald Trump will be a candidate in. Um, and yet trust in our system and efforts to somehow monitor the system in unethical ways seem to be expanding. And the question is whether we are going to be able to trust any of the outcomes of elections moving forward. Well, what you've got to have is trustworthy people who are running things. And in Coffee County, it's pretty apparent to me that these people uh, didn't really hack it. They were given permission to go in and get this information. And so um, the idea of that happening in Cobb County, uh, where Sam Owens was the chairman, would have been unthinkable. And uh, so what you, you really are going to continue to have these problems so long as you have dishonest people who allow these things to happen. And so it goes right back to the integrity of the people that we have in charge and of the public officials who are given the responsibility of preserving and protecting our democracy and our free and fair elections. Um, uh, Kevin, uh, the quote in Mark Nisi's article from Mike Hassinger, who is the spokesman for the uh, Brad Raffensperger's office, is this. Rogue election officials, talking about the Cobb County officials, will not be tolerated in Georgia. Prior well, let me correct you latest, real quick. That's the Co Coffee County officials. I, I meant Coffee County. Thank you. Uh, I apologize. Me. You know, fine. Rogue election officials will not be tolerated in Georgia. Prior to this latest disclosure, the Georgia Secretary of State's office and the State Election Board had already looped in appropriate authorities, including criminal law enforcement agencies, to assist in the investigation into the alleged unlawful access in Coffee County. That investigation continues, and wrongdoers should be prosecuted. Kevin, uh, yet again, uh, another case in which we could see a, a criminal action come out of efforts to somehow mess with Georgia's election in 2020. Yeah, I mean, it's just a spaghetti bowl of, of cases and, and crazy things going on. But look, I, I'm not a lawyer, but to me, it sounds a lot like maybe people set out to show a crime could be committed and perhaps committed a crime themselves in trying to show that it could be committed. I mean, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. We're going to break this thing to show to, that it could be broken, and therefore that proves that something should be done. I, I just hope that the Secretary of State and the law enforcement folks in Georgia pursue this with the vigor it deserves. Apparently they will do just that. Um, we're out of time for uh, today's show. Kevin Riley, Maya Prabhu, Buddy Darden, Sam Olins, thank you so much for a terrific conversation. And it was fun to get Buddy Darden and Sam Olins, the, the old timers from Cobb County, together on the show again today. So we're grateful to both of you for being with us. We're back with a brand new show uh, tomorrow. I hope you'll join us then. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Please take care and stay healthy. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>